Hey there, thanks for visiting the podcast of the Guelph Vineyard Church. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast using whatever platform you listen on, or visit our website at guelphvineyard.com. Here's this week's message brought to you by our pastor, Chris McQueen. So I have spent a bit of time trying to figure out, trying to discern, um, and I, I alluded to this last last Sunday, but um, trying to discern what to focus on. There has been something that's sort of been rising up that I think is going to provide some focus for us for an indeterminate amount of time, for a little while. I think we're going to look at following Jesus through the lens of um, this word wholeheartedness. And it's interesting, you know, I don't at all feel like like we're we're stepping into this or bringing this to like as a as a corrective as a you know we're we're a bunch of half-hearted people and we just need to get our stuff together and and get in the game that's not the tone that i there's an invitation to us to explore what it means to be wholehearted and you know this is kind of the the caveat or whatever that i would give on a pretty regular basis it's this um we are formed creatures. We're created. We are created and God has this beautiful idea that he has. He knows us and he creates us in his image. And then uh, we are released into this world and we begin immediately to be formed. We become formed people, formed creatures, right? And, um, and one of the things that as I look around and take a measure of, of what some of those forces are that bear in and that create the kind of people that we are, so our culture, one of the things that we are not terribly well formed in as a, as a, as a mass of people, not just this church, but just in North America, our world, is this idea of, of wholeheartedness, of just committing fully. Um, you know, I'll, I'll touch on this in just a minute, but we do live in a in a pretty fragmented kind of society. Uh, we live in a very distracted space. Um, we live in a fairly cynical world, right? And, and in a lot of ways, cynicism is like the, the very opposite of, of wholeheartedness. Cynicism will crush our wholeheartedness because it causes us to, it causes us to step back, step back into, um, in, and to withhold. And so um, I think that there's a lot that we can unpack through this together. What does it mean to be wholehearted in our relationships with each other? What does it mean to be wholehearted in our um, commitment to the things of the kingdom? What does it look like to be wholehearted in our worship? Right? Um, we're going to have a guest with us in a few weeks, uh, Todd Rutowski, uh, who is in the, yeah, he's in the Calgary uh, Epic Vineyard. Um, and he's going to be in town, and he's going to be speaking to us about wholeheartedness with regards to the, the mission and the invitation of God. And I, I'm actually not going to be there for that Sunday, but that's going to be a, a fantastic one, too. So we're going to be in this for a little while. So, the idea of wholeheartedness is a general concept. Who thinks that that works? That that's a good thing to endeavor towards, Right? I figured that we would have some resonance around this concept. Yes, it sounds really good. How many people find it really easy to be wholehearted about things, right? 
there might be a few of us that can put our hands up, but it's, it, it tends to narrow the field just a little bit. It's not the easiest thing for us. Um, you know, and again, as we always do, there are certain things that I want to be relentlessly boring about just because we repeat it so very often. And it's this, whatever we talk about here, whatever we set forward as being an example or a vision or something to live towards, it will always and ever be through the person of Jesus, right? Like, I, we do not need to be wholehearted in some way that Jesus wasn't. He will always be the example and the invitation and our provision in that space, right? Even as we step in, and this is just a sideline, but even as we step in to an understanding of Trinity, the three in one, and even that, we have no concept of that without Jesus. Jesus was the revelation of Trinity. Jesus is the lens through which we engage our understanding of who God is, right? Um, and so, no different here. So this is part of what we want to consider. In what ways was Jesus wholehearted? How did he approach that? Right? Because that's, an, that's, that's just, he is, he is the metric for us. Right? He is the revelation that we seek to understand when we press into the scriptures. Right? We are looking, we are looking to understand Jesus in that space, the Word of God. And there we encounter the Father and the Holy Spirit as well. So that's just a little aside that's for free this morning. Um, but it bears, it bears saying. So another way of asking the question, the big question in my mind is, is what would it look like if we lived into the promises and invitations of the kingdom without reserve, without reservation. Um, One of the interesting things, a word that comes up an awful lot, is a word transactional, right? I give this, I get that. I figure out what something's worth, and then I portion off a bit of that to try to acquire this thing, and I'm trying to figure out if it's worth it or whatever, right? And, and there's a transactional nature. And what's interesting is that so, in some ways, that's a helpful way for us to, to establish healthy boundaries, right? So it's, it's not that that is all, all bad. But I do want to say that it's not helpful in the specific thing of what does it look like to live out of a place of wholeheartedness, right? Because wholeheartedness is, is, is what? Like it's embedded in the term itself. It's not partial, right? It's not portional, proportional or whatever. It's whole. And so that's part of, you know, again, trying to thread the eye of the needle in a really helpful way. I hope we can walk away with helpful language. The last thing I want anybody to do is to think that we've come in and we're just going to throw ourselves recklessly into whatever opportunity arises because that's what we think wholeheartedness means. It's a little bit more nuanced than that. I also want to just throw this out that wholeheartedness is such a helpful way of of looking at the world because I can look at something and be and, and kind of focus my attention on it, right? I can I can pull my attention to something and I can navigate 
and my brain is kind of figuring out what's the right thing to do here. Right? But how many of you know that our brains are actually not where most of our decisions get made? Right? We are not, we are not first thinking creatures. We are first feeling creatures. We are first loving creatures. Right? Um, and so that, there's a, a guy named James K.A. Smith, um, he wrote a book called Desiring uh, the Kingdom. And it's a fairly hefty tome. I do recommend it. it uh, it'll it'll kind of kick your butt a little bit in terms of it's, it's, it's a hefty read and, and it's not the easiest. Sometimes he's fairly harsh, actually. But there's so much gold in there. Um, and, and he talks about this. He explores this, how to follow Jesus has so much to do with how we shape our loves, he says. Shaping our loves. Now our thoughts are important and our thoughts are part of that. Right? But I don't know about you. In my, in my world, often what happens is that this rationalizes what this is deciding. Right? This rationalizes what this, my gut, is leading me in. Right? And so instead of the tail wagging the dog, wholeheartedness looks like we're, shape, we're, we're, we're giving intention and, and, and some thought, some focus to what, what, where is our heart leading us and how is it leading us? Is it leading us well? We are love-driven people or fear-driven people. This is, these are the two seats of our decision-making, right? My best decisions are always made because of love and my worst decisions are always made because of fear. 100% of the time, there is, there, I, I believe that there are very few things that I would cast in black and white terms. It's this or that, but I really think this is one of those. Love, fear, right? And again, we articulate those things here, but we feel them first, and we often make our decisions before we get to this part. So, my friend, he's, uh, he's training for a triathlon right now. Um, who's run a triathlon? I think there's a couple people. Yeah, I'm impressed. I just wanted to see the hands go up. <laughs> so I have a friend of mine who's training for a triathlon. And uh, he's posting all sorts of things on Facebook. He's one of the, he's one of the few breaths of fresh air that I see come up on that, on that feed these days. Oh my gosh, I'm so close to just divorcing the whole social media thing. Oh, it's tough. Anyway, so... He's, he's training for a triathlon. And he made this post. He said, he said, there are two ways I can lose. Two ways I can lose. First way is this. I can, I cannot finish. That would be, I'm just going to turn this off. Blue. Um, I cannot finish. That would be for him losing. Right? He's not trying to win the race. He's trying to finish it. The other way that he could lose is very interesting. He said, I could finish with gas in the tank. Right? I thought, wow, that is an interesting... I hadn't even thought about it. I mean, you know, my thing, I've run a marathon, and I can say that it, I had no gas in the tank at the end, but <laughs> I don't trust anybody who could finish one of those things with gas in the tank, but I just thought, what an interesting approach to this thing. And so I've been thinking about this a little bit. I've been thinking about this through the lens of our loves and our treasure, Right? And in Matthew 6, there's this beautiful 
dialogue that Jesus is having, and they're talking about money, and they're talking about worth and focus and love, loves. And Jesus says, you know, where your heart is, your treasure is there as well, right? And he's talking in relationship to, to, to money, he's saying you can't serve two masters. So he's fairly specific in what he's talking and addressing. But I started to think about the difference between what it looks like to amass wealth versus not spending love. Because how do we save? How do we save up wealth, money? You can invest. That's actually probably that you should talk to somebody about that. That is a helpful way to build some money. But the other thing, the other thing that's really helpful. The other thing that's super helpful is if you don't spend it all, right? Like if you have, if you have enough of, you know, of, of that, I don't know what the word is to call it. I'd call it blessing, except that, it, you know, it, it's people who are, who don't have a lot, the Bible says are blessed as well. But, you know, if you're in a position where you, where you can save a little and not spend some of what's coming in, that's a good way of increasing the amount of money in your bank account, right? And then what happens if you, if you, you acquire this wealth and you build it up over your lifetime and you take care of yourself, when you pass, what's left when you've done that? Inheritance, right? This is a, this is a wonderful thing. This can be a wonderful thing. And it's a beautiful part of the scriptures. Inheritance is so important. But when I started to think about this contrast that Jesus points to when he's talking about the difference between serving money, right, and this, where's your heart? Where are your loves? What happens to unspent love at the end of your life? No, it's done. It is gone. What a, what a thing to consider, huh? <laughs> yeah, negatory, right? Like, yeah, unspent love. How do we how do we build a legacy of love? How do we how do we do it? How do we amass something so that when we are gone, when there's separation, when there's distance, whatever, what does that look like? It looks like what? It looks like spending our love, right? This idea of giving it away. That is really really critical. Really really important. As we look at the life of Jesus, we see this all over the place. I don't have a proof text for this one so much, but it's everywhere. You know, we can talk about how he didn't, how he didn't um, hold on to his status as something to be cherished, but he, but he let go of it and, and emptied himself and came to be among us. There's that. There's also this in First John, or sorry, not First John. Yeah, First John three sixteen. Yeah, just the most famous verse. Um, you know, this is how we know what love is, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God so loved the world that he gave, that he gave himself. God so loved the world that all of the implications of that, that point back to the heart of the Father and the heart of the Holy Spirit, right, are in this. God gave, what, Ev- everything in that. So, Jeremiah chapter 29 has a really beautiful verse in it. Verse 13. 
It says this, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Right? It's a... Um, now, and here's the thing that I'm always aware of. Because I know how, I know how, that, how that bad guy is shame. I know how he works. I know how shame works. What shame does is shame reverse engineers truth in such a way that you end up on the outside of it. That's how shame works. It'll take something that's true and it'll reverse engineer it. And it'll say, so if you're struggling with finding God, shame on you. You're not doing it well enough. You're not doing it with all of your heart. Right? I just want to cast out that demon of a thought. That's not what we're talking about here. Right? It's never a finger wag here. It's always an invitation. The call to repent even. Even though it sometimes feels like a finger wag and identifying certain things. Understand, it's always an invitation. 100% of the time, it's an invitation. And this is an invitation. Seek me. You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. There's an invitation, and, and here's the thing. There's also a command. And this was fascinating to me that I didn't make this connection right from the get-go. You ever have moments where you're preparing for something, and you think you've, you think you got an angle, and suddenly you see the most obvious thing in the room, and you go, oh, <laughs> I'm a little thick, right? So I was like, okay, so where am I going to start? I knew that the Lord was leading us into a conversation on wholeheartedness, and I thought, okay, where are we going to start? We're going to start, right? And so I started doing my research and digging in and trying to think through scriptures or whatever. And then it's like, how about the beginning of the Ten Commandments? That might be a good place to start, right? Like right, in, in, right at the at the fulcrum point, the, the the thing that everything else hangs on. Jesus says, right? What do the scriptures say? Deuteronomy six five says this: You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and with all of your might, right? Right at the, as soon as God begins to articulate with, spe- with specificity, when he gets particular in the law, he starts to unveil this thing, this is where he starts. Right at the very beginning, he says, this is about wholeheartedness. Right? And we have a complicated relationship with the law of Moses. And that's, and that's fine. Paul had a complicated relationship with the law of Moses. You know, there's a lot to be said about that. The, the writings of Paul are very helpful with regards to these things. But I do want to say this. For whatever we might say about that, and how God brought the law so that we could understand, so that sin would increase, and we could understand that we could not overcome this thing on our own, and how desperately we needed grace, which is a huge part of what this was, the law always frames God's desires and his intentions for us, right? Even in his most oppressive moments, there's something that is beckoning people towards him and painting a picture. And this is the most, this is a beautiful thing, you guys, because who made us, right? What I want, if there's one thing that you can walk away with this morning, as we step into this journey, which I think might take a little while, I want to say this. You and I were made 
to be wholehearted. Like it is, it is woven into the very core of whatever the DNA stuff that God used when he built us and conceived of us was the desire. Like it is what you were made for. Not half-heartedness, right? Not, not, not fractured and divided loves. We were made to be wholehearted. And, and again, when I look and I ask the question, as we have been asking and should continue to ask repeatedly, what's so good about the good news? What is, you know, one of the elements of this is that I believe following Jesus leads us into who he made us to be, leads us into wholeheartedness so that we can celebrate and be in love with this. So that is, I'm going to say that that is my first big point. And I just have a few of them, so we're, we're okay for time-wise. I'm not going to keep you too long in Mother's Day. You were made for this. Yep. Yeah, it is good. Yeah. Point number two. God is not Pharaoh, so you can only give what you got. The invitation is not just to people who have complete hearts that haven't been broken. In fact, give the Beatitudes a read for half a second. See what you find there. You can only give what you got. Right? And I and I as we were worshiping this morning, I was thinking of I was thinking of that the passage of the widow's might. You know, and that passage has been abused, I would say. Um to uh, as as a tactic to get more money out of people towards the church, I've seen that happen. Um, the uh, but the context of that is that Jesus is, has just finished berating the Pharisees for being so cruel to widows, right, and being so cruel. And then he and then he points this out, and he sees this, this woman coming, and she gives she gives everything she has, right, and he says he says what she has given is spectacular, right. And it's actually said, it's, it's, it's one of the harsher things that Jesus has said, because in the context of that, he's actually bringing some heat. He's bringing some heat to his favorite people to bring heat to, right? But it does underlie this. It underlines this with such a profound reality. You can only bring what you got, and guess what? That, that will be delighted in. That will be received, Right? There is no bank account that's of any worth in this equation, in this, in this ecology of, of, of re, let's call it resource, the, love, the, re, the resource of love. Right? This is why somebody can come in as a, as, as a bankrupt human being who's had everything taken from them, and they have no capacity for trust, and they have no capacity for love, and they have no capacity. For, like, I've met some people like this. And I tell you, their worship means every bit as much as pick your hero. Right? Every bit as much. Billy Graham, Jean Vanier, who passed this week, a bit of a hero of, of mine. You know, you can pick your, pick your hero, Right? 
it, this is the beautiful and the, the, the equalizing thing. You can only bring what you got. Related to that, which, which we've touched on, wholeheartedness is not just for the whole. Right? If you have a broken heart, God is so gracious in that space. In fact, he's drawn into that. He is so kind. Right? He is so kind. The Beatitudes. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read them right now, but you can if you want to reflect on this. This is powerful, wonderful stuff. He receives us broken. Okay. Next point. Wholeheartedness. What is it? What is wholeheartedness? I want to suggest that wholeheartedness is living life without plan B. Right? And in that level, it means something. It affects the way we plan. It affects the way we engage those who are around us. It, it influences powerfully how we deal with pain. Right? Approaching life is like there's no plan B. That is what it looks like to move towards um, breathing our last without any gas left in the tank. Right? Now, again, I want to make sure that I'm really clear that does not mean that we live life without healthy boundaries. That does not mean that we say yes to everything. That's not what I'm talking about here. Right? That... But there, at the same time, I think you'll know those moments where you're tempted to lean back to plan B or to hedge your bets a little bit, right? I, I, I hope that in those moments, the word wholeheartedness will pop up and no plan B will pop up and you will lean in heavily to the, to the single invitation of Jesus to follow him in that moment, wholeheartedly. And I want to I wanna close with this. Final point, and again, I've touched on it. There are enemies that exist in our pursuit of Jesus. Some are external and some are internal. Right? There's lots that talk about the battles that we're caught in, what it is against and what it's not against. I want to identify two enemies to wholeheartedness. I think it's just good sometimes to name your to name your adversary. It allows you to look them square in the eye when you have to. So one enemy of wholeheartedness I've talked about is cynicism. Right? Cynicism is the opposite of sincerity. Like it's where you hold back and you keep and you keep a distance between yourself and something that you believe might be good, but you look at it with a cynical view so that you keep yourself safe. I want to encourage us to do the soul work and to press through our cynicism. And most of us probably have it. I have it. I, I have it underlined in certain parts of my life. I have to fight so hard to get past my cynicism. Right? But when, you've, when you're wrestling with cynicism, what you're actually doing is you're contending for wholeheartedness. It's not what you're wrestling against. It's what you're wrestling for. You are wrestling for wholeheartedness in your cynicism. 
So it's a flag that can go up. And the other thing is, again, similar. The other enemy of wholeheartedness is disillusionment. Right? Disillusionment is tied into disappointment. It's tied into saying, you know what, I'm just not going to... I'll believe this much, but I'm, I've only got this... I'm, you know, Not that I've only got this much to believe... This is this is what I'm willing to give to this commitment to belief here. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give I'm gonna apportion this much. This is how much feels safe. That's part of what disillusionment looks like. I want to again invite you to recognize that when you are wrestling with disillusionment, when you see that, when you when you look at something that you that you have believed to be true, and you know deep in your bones that is still, but you are not wanting to commit to it. And you feel, again, you're creating distance. Disillusionment and cynicism are safety mechanisms. They keep us at a distance. Right? And so let's call it like it is. That distance is the enemy to wholeheartedness. Right? So here's what I want to say for a second, just to give us a tool. Because identifying an enemy without any tool to overcome is just another form of cruelty. So... There are probably others, but this I want to give you one tool. Just make peace with the fact that you're going to be a hypocrite now and then. That's going to be really helpful to press through cynicism and it's going to press through disillusionment. And if you don't think that it's okay that I said that, just give two seconds of reflection about King David and Peter. Right? Two of the most wholehearted figures in all of the scriptures. Like they are number one and number two, and you can flip them at different times. Sometimes David is number one and sometimes Peter is number one, but the other always follows shortly after. And we would say of both of them, wow, yes, they were flawed, but they were wholehearted, right? So in that sense, my weird way of words, I want to invite you into some hypocrisy. I want you to run the risk of being a hypocrite from time to time. Be, re- be ready to repent. Be ready to press back in, to turn around. Be ready to eat, uh, um, you know, crow. I was going to say dust or whatever. Like be, be ready for those moments because that's part of like, that's part of what it looks like to turn, you know, wholeheartedness is not just in pursuit of God. Wholeheartedness is actually part of how we look at repentance too. Right? Wholehearted repentance is what we're after when we look at that word. It's not just a dealing with the, with the very specific thing that maybe we did last week or said yesterday. I mean, it is that too. But we, are, we know the invitation is to wholeheartedness in both of these things. And so to that end, I want to invite you into hypocrisy. Is that, is that too weird to put on the tape somewhere for somebody to listen back to later? Right? For the ends of wholeheartedness, for the, this, is, this is what it looks like. This is part of the recipe. And, and, and the beautiful thing is because of the season we've just walked through, God has us in that. Right? So we can lean out over the edge of the cliff. We can let our whole weight take us over the point of no return and, and trust that Jesus is going to catch us there even, even when we fall. So that's what I got for you this morning. So if I, if it's okay, if I can just close.